0: Preach like Pastor Noah, but I can't. But he will be here next week. He did have a pretty serious situation to come up, and he just couldn't he couldn't be gone from his church today because he, it was sort of a church one of those church things. But uh, he was regretful not to be able to to be here with you guys today. But he's he's planning on being here next Sunday. So get ready. You know, I've always this is what I've told Big. When I grow up, I want to be a preacher like Pastor Noah because he's one of the best I think preachers that you know i mean he's tremendous um if you want to open your bible this morning to psalm 73 and this is a message i feel like the lord gave me for us this morning actually i wasn't planning on giving it this morning but turn out i am so but it is a message for us today and what i want to talk to you about is is stumbling that's what this Psalm 73 is about, stumbling. And it's like four steps to stumbling. That's, that's what I want to talk to you. That's four steps to stumbling. And then I want to tell you God's four steps, four-step antidote that God has to stumbling. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, psalm 73 uh, is a psalm of Asap. It's not one, that, it's not one of David's psalms. It's a man named Asap. I'm going to stop and pray. I feel like I need to pray here before I get in trouble. <laughs> Lord, keep me out of trouble this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, I just pray for your divine uh, anointing that enables us to hear. Well, we are not in, interested in information. Well, we like information. Information is good, but we're going for the best. Well, we want revelation. So I ask you to speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, today. To each one of us in this room, you have something specific to say to them. You have a you have a thing in their life that you're, 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 you want to touch, and we ask you to you do that. I ask you, Lord, to use me. Lord, I offer all that I have, Lord, to you, Lord. But I ask you to use it and you to do it, Lord, because I acknowledge today, Lord Jesus, Lord, apart from you, we're just, just dead branches, withered and dry and worthless, Lord Jesus. Just acknowledge that, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, though, that you are, you are full of mercy and you're full of grace towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the anointing to speak your word, Lord. Thank you for the word. But anyway, there's a man named Asap. And let me tell you about Asap. I'm not going to run you through all the scriptures. Some of you know about him. Some of you may have never heard of him. But he's an important guy in the Bible. He, if you go back, the first time he appears is in First Chronicles 15. If you'll remember, Saul was the king of Israel. And when Saul was the king of Israel, it was a bad time for Israel. Because Saul was carnal. He had a carnal king, a carnal leader. He was, he was you know, he sort of represents the flesh to us and as long as he was in charge nothing was happening spiritually in the nation of any significance. Well of course, you know, the Lord replaced Saul with King David. David being, you know, the type of Christ as the king. Well when Christ is king, guess what? When he's truly king in a place, things start happening. And things started happening when David became the king. And one of the things that had had happened while Saul was king was the ark of covenant which represented the presence of God in the Old Testament was over at somebody's house. And that house, Obed-Edom, they were blessed. Man, wouldn't it be nice to have the Ark of the Covenant at your house, in your living room, the presence of God in your living room all the time, 24 hours a day. Well, it was over there, and David, um, of course, decided that, hey, we ain't just, we're ain't we not going for this now. I mean, it's great that it's just at your house, but the nation needs, needs it. So David, being the king, went and, and went through some situations about getting it back, uh, sort of failed the first time because he tried to do it in a natural way. We're not going to get into that. Don't try to do God's work naturally. But the uh, second time he got it, he did it the way God prescribed. And I think you know the story. Uh, but there was a man named Asap that was uh, suddenly appeared. And he was a Levite. And actually, he was a priest of the tribe of Levi. So he was called upon, because that's how God wanted his presence. F, you know, brought in was through the priests and the Levites. They were the ones who could, who could carry the ark. They were the ones who could minister before the presence of the Lord. And AsAP was one of those people. So he was suddenly, you know, suddenly here you are. You're, imagine you're in this dead situation, this dead church, this dead land. There's nothing spiritually happening. And then suddenly there's a revival that starts. And God taps you on the shoulder one day. You're just living your life, doing what you have to do, you know, to get through the day. And you are plunged into something bigger than you. You know, something people dream of. And that's the move of God. And that's what happened to this man. And he was asked to go and play music before the Lord, bringing the presence of God into Jerusalem. And so he did that. And he was obviously a very anointed man. He was very obviously a very gifted and talented man. And it was recognized by the powers that be, so to speak. And they asked this man Asap, they said, we want you to be a full-time worship leader in Israel, because what they did was was when they set up the Ark of the Covenant, they, they had twenty-four hour worship, and so they needed worship leaders. So they picked him and two other guys to lead worship twenty-four hours a day. I suppose they were one guy was first shift, one guy was second shift, and one guy was third shift. I suppose I don't know. It tells us that about that in First Chronicles sixteen, and then another thing it tells us about uh, about Asa, in 2 Chronicles 29, it says he was a seer, meaning that he was a very prophetic guy. So here's, imagine this, the guy's a Levite, the guy's a priest, he has a, a tremendous amount of musical talent, he obviously is very anointed to be chosen to be the leader, because talent, you know, everybody, you know, you can go to Nashville and get talent, you know, God's looking for the anointing, that's what's really important. Um, you can go to Toastmasters and Club and get really good speakers to speak to you, but but you need the anointing. So this guy had talent, and he had the anointing on him. Plus, he—you know—this is to me the ideal worship leader. He was prophetic. In other words, this man knew what God. He could see what God was doing. He understood the flow of the spirit. So he knew when to shoot out there, and he knew when God was saying pull back, he could pull back. So he had all the the giftings, all the tools to really do to to really worship before God and lead the the people of God into real worship. So that's. That's his situation. That's who we're talking about. This is the guy who wrote this psalm. Now, uh, here's what happened to him. Let's read verse, uh, verse one, part of verse two. It says, "Truly, God is good to Israel to such as pure in heart." That's, that's where he starts out. But as for me, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. So here you got a guy, you know, to just. In the move of God, in the move of God, in, in the presence of God daily, and he winds up in this situation in his life. He winds up coming close to stumbling, coming close to slipping. And I think what it really is communicating to us, we're never, ever, ever, ever in a place where we can assume we're not going to slip. Where we can assume we're not going to stumble. We really are not. And, and I believe that's one of the reasons this man wrote this psalm to express his heart, to show what was in his heart, and really show how the enemy can bring you to the point of stumbling in your life. So that's what we're ta- Are you all with me this morning? That's what we're talking about. Now, now, this not only applies to your spiritual life, this can, and I want you to ask the Lord. The Lord wants to speak to everybody in this room this morning. It, he may want to talk to you about your spiritual life. He may want to talk to you about your marriage, because this really applies, these four steps. It applies, it may, he may want to talk to you about your job, about your career. He may want to talk to you about your, your children. It really does apply, and I think you'll see how it can really apply to you on any level and in any place you are in your life. If you'll really allow the Lord to speak to you, He will. So, let's read verse 3. And, and I'm going to give you the four things that the enemy does in our life to cause us, to bring us to a place of stumbling in the Lord. Okay? Uh, verse 3, it says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 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 <laughs> Y'all loosen up. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious of the boastful. Now, here's the thing he just said. He up knew, he said, God is good to Israel. God is good to the pure in the heart. He blesses those people. Yet, when he looked at his life, and he looked at what was going on around him, his life and what he saw wasn't lining up for what he believed. Right? That, that was really what it was There It was a conflict. See, he believed if you did certain things, if you would do certain things, certain things would happen. That's sort of how this guy lived. You know, if you're pure in heart, God's going to bless you. You're going to be prosperous. That's what he believed. But here's what was happening to him. That wasn't happening. He felt like he was pure in heart, but he wasn't blessed. In fact, he was looking at the wicked and saying, man, look how blessed they are. And he goes all the way through verse 12, and he begins to talk about how uh, blessed they were. And he says in verse 4, there's no pain in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Nor are they plagued like other men. And he's talking about people out in the world. Here, here Let's put it in the day. Here's a Christian man, a Christian woman thinking. Now let me ask you a Have you ever been in a place in your heart when you looked around maybe at people in the world and became secretly envious of them? I mean, tell the truth. Have you ever done it? Have you ever been in a place where you looked at them and thought, man, you know what? Here I am a Christian. Here I am serving God. And look at the way my life's going. They seem to have it better than me. They got a better house. They got a better car. Their kids are more successful. Their kids are making A's. Mine are flunking out. (laughs) Their wife is nice. Mine's mean. (laughs) My wife is real nice. I'm just saying third person. Man, they don't have to get up to go to church on Sunday morning. They can sleep in late. They can go out all night, stay out all night. They don't have to worry about this burden of having to go to church and listen to somebody talk to them, somebody press them. You ever thought this, folks? They can cut their grass on Sunday if they want to instead of having to spend their Saturdays cutting grass. They ain't got to pay tithes. Man, have you really ever thought that? See, this guy not only thought, man, he studied these guys. He spent nine verses talking about how blessed they were. See, he became engrossed in looking at them and comparing them with himself. And I want to tell you something. This is what happens in the church a lot. See, we, don't, we, don't, we do it with the world, but I think we do it with each other. We look at each other and we start thinking about what this other person had. Look, man, you know, they're getting to do this. or You hear what I'm saying, too? We start becoming envious down in our hearts, deep down inside, and start comparing ourselves. Here's the thing that they'll do also. look. Let's read verse 15. He said, If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I, have, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Now, here's the backdrop the enemy wants. The enemy wants to plant plant those thoughts. Here's the, here's the thought he wants to plant. This is the first step to following. It's when we believe the world or we believe others have something better than we do. Okay? When we begin to believe, listen to this, when we begin to believe that the world or other people, they can be Christians or whatever, but when we begin to believe they have something better than we do, that is step one to going down the tubes. That's the first trap the enemy has set for you. When you start thinking that way, let's think about the natural. You look at the lady next door, husbands, and think, man, she seems to be a better wife than my wife. That's the first step. You've made the first step into stumbling. And what happens is, if you keep thinking those thoughts, you see, what the enemy wants you to do, he wants you to think those thoughts. He's feeding those thoughts to you, and he don't want you to talk to anybody about it. Because that's what he said in verse 15. See, the whole thing is a backdrop of the enemy. Keep it to you. After all, Aesop, you're a worship leader. You're a prophetic person. You're a very anointed person. What, nobody should know what's really going on inside your heart when you're standing up there raising your hands you know, declaring the wonders of God and leading the congregation in worship. You can't tell people that, you know what, I'm really envious of my neighbors. I really think they've got it better than me and I don't really understand why they do. And I'm struggling with this. You see, if we go long enough in that, we need to find a way to talk to somebody about it. And I don't think you should stand up in front of everybody and start telling them that. That would be sort of ridiculous. But Asap had two, two other guys he could have went to and said, I'm struggling, guys. I'm struggling. See, what the enemy wants to do is keep you quiet. Keep it just between you and him and he's got you because he's got you isolated. Or, this is another class. This is what I've seen with people. People struggling. You try to talk to them about something and they lie to you. Yeah, I'm fine, you know. Or they'll give you the surface stuff but they keep you like out oh, here. Don't, I don't want to talk to you about this but there's really issues in their heart. They're really struggling in their heart. You see what I'm saying? That's the enemy's first step. To, keep, to getting you down, uh, isolate you. Um, so, and when you find yourself meditating on others, studying others, thinking about how much better they have it or how good what they're getting to do, or whatever it is that you're comparing, better uh, their, their kids are doing so much better than yours. Why? All those questions. Do you all see what I'm saying here? Is this, is this clear to you? Because this is so important. Because this is the very first step that's going to take you out if you keep going down this road. All right, second step. Verse, let's just jump down. I'm not going to read all those things he talked about the wicked because they're all lies. Verse 13, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. All right, the second thing the enemy is going to do is get you to believe that what you're doing has little meaning or value. That's the second thing. I've cl- Listen, listen. I've cleansed my heart in vain. This is all vain, God. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, Lord, I have really believed You for something? I've really stepped out in faith in my life and believed You and nothing happened. It didn't work out like I thought. Have you ever thought this stuff's vanity? Lord, I've done all these things. I've trusted You and I've believed in You and You didn't come through, God. Has anybody ever felt that besides me? Has anybody in this room ever really believed God for something? I mean, really believed Him? Hung your butt out there? excuse the French, hung your, her, hung your rear end out there on the line believing that God was going to meet you and touch you and help you, and guess who didn't show up? And your carcass was hanging out there in the breeze? I mean, have you ever been in that situation? It's a terrible situation to be in. And basically what ASAP was saying, God, you're not doing your part. I've done my part, God. I've believed you, God. I've trusted you, God. I've, I've made decisions based on my belief that you were going to meet me. And you didn't. And the enemy's sitting there saying, no, he didn't meet you. you think God was going to meet you? Anybody ever been down there? Anybody ever hung out there? Do you know how terrible it is when you hang out there and God doesn't show up? It's terrible. You feel that way. So that's the second thing. And again, the enemy wants you to keep quiet about it. Don't tell nobody, you know. Besides, you're a worship leader. Worship leaders don't feel that way. You're a prophetic man. People look to you to get the Word of the Lord from you. I thought, God, if I walked in faith, you would bless me. You would come through for me. God, they told me, you know, if if I would tithe, my finances would be blessed. They told me that. They gave me Bible verses and that. Yet the guy next door has got ten times as much stuff as I have and I can't even hardly make the, the bills every month. He you know what's the deal with this. This is all vanity. I've given all that money to the church. I want it back. <laughs> People actually have done that. God's, God's not doing His part. That's the second thing. Number three, verse 14. For all day long, all day long, I have been plagued and chastened, chastened every morning. Every day of my life, I get chastised. Every morning I wake up, God is fussing at me. Every morning something bad's happening to me. Every day I go through my days and there are plagues. And this is what this is. We exaggerate the negative and become cynical. That's the third step. When we exaggerate the negative, when, when our life is one constant, miserable thing from our perspective... When we see everything in the negative, and that's when you have some unrealistic expectations, that's what happens to you when they don't get met. You get cynical. When you really believe God for something and it doesn't happen, suddenly your whole life looks like doo-doo to you. That's the way it looks to you. That's the way it feels to you. That's the way it smells to you. Everything in your life. And it happens, I'm going to tell you, it happens over and It happens in people's marriages all the time. Suddenly that person that you, that you thought was so wonderful, that you had all these expectations with, is you're wondering, why in the world did I marry this person? Why did I do this with my life? I've ruined my life. Look, at, and you see all the negative things. You see every negative thing there is, and that's all you see in them. You don't see that person at one time you thought they could, you know, you would throw everything away for You'd throw your life away for that person. Most people they're loved, they'll do anything. I mean, I about flunked out of school over Becky. I mean, I was willing to toss everything for her. I loved her so much. I mean, that was all I ever thought about. This is her. You know, I thought about the Lord a little bit, but... <laughs> see, what cynicism sets into your life, you become cynical. You become cynical about your life. You become cynical about the people you're around. Everything, you see, everything is a negative. You know, you don't have rose-colored glasses on at all. You have... You know, brown. Look over, hold your place there and look over in Jeremiah. Let me just read this one verse, Jeremiah 17. I want to read verse 5 to you and just really show you what happens. Is the Lord speaking to anybody? Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is a famous scripture. Most of you are familiar with it. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Okay, Lord, we know we're not supposed to do that. And make flesh his strength. Yeah. Whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. All right, He "He shall be like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes. Shall not see when good comes. See, here's what happens to a lot at this third place. Good is coming your way. Good is in your life, but God has allowed the ability to see the good has been removed from you. You see what I'm saying? The ability to see the blessings have been removed from your life. You don't see how blessed you really are. You don't see the favor of God in your life. It's because all you see is the negative. And it says you'll be like a shrub in the desert. Does anybody want to be a shrub in the desert? you know how bad it would be to be a shrub in the desert? 130 degrees in the daytime, nothing but sand around, maybe a shrub here half a mile down the road. At night it gets so cold, you know, you could freeze to death. So you're going through these extreme temperature swings. I don't want to be that way. For he shall be like a shrub and shall not see when good, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. I mean, that's the lot of a person who's cynical. If you're cynical this morning, if you see everything on a negative, you have destined your life to inhabit parched place. Not just in the wilderness. I mean, you're you're going to get the worst of the wilderness. You're going to get the driest, deadest places in the wilderness. That's your life. That's you. You've you've condemned yourself to that. Even says in a salt land, which is not inhabited. You know that's that's really bad. Salt land. But then he goes on he's blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its, root, its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. It doesn't say heat's not coming. It doesn't say trouble's not coming. Trouble's coming. It really is. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, the wolf is coming. The wolf's at the door. Trouble's coming. We need to get, it. We need to get into that, that trouble's headed our way, Lord. But he's not going to be afraid But his leaf will be green, and he will not be anxious in the year of drought. You see that? He will not be anxious in the year of drought. And it could be financial drought. It could be spiritual drought. It could be whatever drought is brought upon the earth. It could be difficult times, but this person wouldn't be anxious. And he would not cease yielding fruit at that time. Now, that's really what God's called us to. But you cannot... Be that way if you live in the negative realm. If you have become cynical and everything you see is negative, you cannot live that way. Because when trouble comes, you're going to be full of fear. You're going to want to run. Now go back to uh, to, to Psalm 73. Let's look at step four. Y'all with me? This is the sort of the last, the last step, the four steps of the devil. The four lies of the devil. Verse 21. He says, Thus, you know, I've skipped over a bunch of stuff he taught. We'll, we'll go back and jump on some of that in a second. Thus, my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. So, we go through those first three steps. Number one, we believe the world or others have something better than we do. That's the beginning point. We start comparing ourselves to others. We believe they have something better than we do if you're doing that, stop it. Stop doing it with the world and stop doing it with people in the church. That's so stupid. Because they don't have anything better than you do. There's not, if you're a Christian in this room, nobody in this room has anything up on you. Period. And we need to get over that mess of comparing ourselves to each other. Because if Jesus Christ is living in you, in you you've got everything that I've got. You've got everything that Billy Graham's got. That's the truth. That's the gospel. Yet we go around, well, you know, they're getting to do this, they're getting to do that kind of mess, and jealous of people and all that. That is insanity. That is insanity suppose you're not believing the gospel. You've got everything that the Apostle Paul had inside of you. Everything. You may not have the same gifts and talents. You don't have the same calling. Heck, I wouldn't want his calling. You know? In fact, some historians think Paul was a terrible preacher. People fell asleep on him, died, (laughs) died doing his message. So I'm saying, I I ain't, but he did have some revelation going. We believe the world does have something better than we do. Lie, big lie, they don't. We believe what we're doing has little meaning or value. We believe what we're doing has little meaning if that's the next thing that happens to you. You start looking at what you're doing. This is nothing. This don't mean nothing, Lord. You know, how come I'm not getting to do what uh, Reinhard Bonnke's doing? Preaching to millions of people. This is nothing what I'm doing. You know, that's craziness. We exagger- Third step, we exaggerate the negative, and that's when we become cynical. We exaggerate, and then we start living in the negative realm, and we can't see the good when it comes to you. And finally, number four, finally we open the door for the father of lies. You know who the father of lies is? It's the Satan. It's the, it's the snake. To pierce us, to snake bite us, and poison us with bitterness of soul. How many people you know is bitter? You know bitter people? Bitter people are difficult to deal with. They really are because they have bitterness in them. And that's what he said. That's what had happened to Asap there in verse 21. He said, "Until uh, verse yeah, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed or pierced. He said, It's pierced in my inward parts, is what he was talking about. I was pierced inside. I was poisoned inside. Bitterness was in me. That's the end result of stumbling, is bitterness. And I'll tell you this, there's more bitter Christians than there probably are bitter people in the world. Maybe, I don't know. but Well, probably not, because there's more... Uh, people who are unsaved than there are Christians. But percentage-wise, I bet you we're more bitter than people in the world percentage-wise. And we really need to allow the Lord to deal with our bitterness. We need, really need to go back and find out where we got off the track and got bitter. Now, this is, that's the bad news. That's, that's the steps to stumbling. You got them? So think about your life. Ask the Lord, are you down your wife? Are you down your husband this morning? Okay? Do you believe somebody else has a better husband? Than you have, or a better wife than him, you're headed down trouble. You you you've made the first step. You've stepped into the first snare of the devil. You've made the first step down. There's another step coming for you. There's another step coming for you. And if you keep going low enough, you will wind up in bitterness. You need to find somebody and talk to them. Now, if it's just a casual thought because you were mad at your your spouse this morning, you can just believe that the devil just put that in your mind. You just keep going and don't believe it. Okay, here's how God restored him. This is God's answer. To stumbling. God has an answer. He has four, there's four steps in this, that God, that, that's in this scripture that shows us exactly how to respond to those four things that the enemy brings to us. All right, the first one is in verse 17. Uh, well, let's read verse 16. He says, when I thought how to understand this, all this stuff was going on, he was thinking about how to understand. He said, it was just too painful for me. Has anybody ever felt that way? You think about what's going on in your life and it just tears you up to think about it. It just kills you to think about it. You can't even deal with it in your mind. It just like blows your brains out. You read all this stuff in the Bible. You look what's happening in your life and none of it's adding up. And and you feel like you are getting cooked. Has anybody ever felt that? I can't get this stuff, God. This thing don't work. It just tears you up. Man, it's terrible. It's terrible. That's what he was saying. I mean, I just can't. You know, I just don't understand. Lord, I just don't understand. It's just this is too much for me. I just can't get through all this. Why is this happening? Why is this like this? Why, why, why? Then he says in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Talking about the end of the... All right, now, here's the thing. Sanctuary ain't church. Because there's people going to church all the time They're walking in the church bitter. They're leaving the church bitter. They're walking in the church cynical. They're leaving the church cynical. They're walking in the church all right, and they're leaving messed up. (laughs) It's the truth. And sometimes it is not the church's fault that they're leaving messed up. They came in good and left bad. Sometimes it's the church's fault. i got some things on the church that they ain't doing right. We ain't doing right. Not they. We. But sometimes it's because they've stepped into this trap. They started thinking, this ain't good enough. You know? we got, There's something better than this, God, for sure. You see what I'm saying? It's, the sanctuary is talking about the presence of God. It's not talking about church. It's talking about being in God's presence. Okay? And getting God's perspective on what's going on. That's, that's the key. You've got you've to start seeing things from how God sees things. Now how do you do that? Well you've got to ask him for one thing. I said, Lord, I don't really understand what's going on here. I really need need you to show me and, and really reveal to me how you see this situation. What your heart is on this situation. When you hear those people saying that, what are you hearing, God? Because if you judge it, I promise you every time you'll miss it. So there was four things that ASAP saw when he got into God's presence. See, that's really why we want the presence of the Lord so much. That's why we're not interested in just doing church, you know, going through the motions of church. Let's go in and do church, and, you know, who knows? You know, that's why we desire to be in the presence of God. Because when we're in God's presence, everything changes. All of a sudden, everything you thought was this way is like, well, that wasn't really like that because I'm in God's presence.